Well, I wish you could sit up here sometimes and watch these deacons when they're doing specials. I was watching Tracy, and so he was being an attorney and a bow tie and so forth. He sort of had his bulletin and his keeping time. I looked over at our chairman of deacons, Jim. He was giving it the head nod. Joey had both feet going there. I was proud of you, Bob. Huh? They were working at it today. Sometimes I'm asked the question, is the world getting better or worse? And I'll give my opinion at the conclusion of the message today. But there are those people who say, well, the world is getting better. And uh, they cite their evidence. For instance, we have air conditioning. How many times did I hear during the month of August when we were setting all of these records, how did we live before we had air conditioning? I don't know. Can you imagine Steve Phillips before the days of air conditioning? (laughs) And so they say, well, you know, we, we have air conditioning today. The world has to be getting better. And then there is better transportation. There are some of you who actually remember when the predominant mode of transportation was horse and buggy. But today we have cars and airplanes and things of that nature. I don't know that we travel any faster, but we have all of these things available to us. And then, of course, there's better health care. I remember early in my ministry that I would go to the hospital to visit someone who had had surgery, and they would be lying there with tubes coming out of everything, and they would be in that condition for two weeks. And I'd think, oh, I hope I never get sick. But today you can go in and have the same procedure and, and go home that afternoon. So health care is better. Race relations are better than they have been. So there are those people who say, well, the world is getting better. And they cite these things as evidence. There are other people who say, no, the world is getting worse. And they cite their evidence. For instance, our families are falling apart. And we know that that is true. And we have a serious drug problem in our society. See, when I was growing up, the only drug problem you had was being drugged to school or drugged to church or something of that nature. But today we have a serious drug problem. And then crime is is rampant and immorality is acceptable and so forth. So is the world getting better or is the world getting worse? And there is a tension there. And today we continue our study in the parables found in Matthew chapter 13, and perhaps we'll have some insight concerning this conflict that we live with. Take your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 13, beginning in verse number 24. This is the second parable in the sermon. He presented another parable to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed tares also among the wheat and went away. But when the wheat sprang up and bore grain, then the tares became evident also. And the slaves of the landowner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? And he said to them, An enemy has done this. And the slaves said to him, Do you want us then to go and gather them up? But he said, No, lest while you are gathering up the tares, you may root up the wheat with them. Allow both to grow together until the harvest, and in the time of harvest, 
I will say to the reapers, first gather up the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them up, but gather the wheat into my barn. Now, he goes on and interprets this parable in verses 36 through 42. But he begins there by talking about good seed being sown in verse number 24. He presented another parable to them saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. Now, this is the second parable that we have looked at in the sermon Jesus preached by the sea. Both of these parables have to do with sowing, with the sowing of seed. Now, you recall last week as we began this series that the seed that was sown was the Word of God. And the Bible says in that parable, when the Word of God is sown, it falls on one of four different types of soil. Some of it falls by the roadside. In verse number 19, you'll recall he said, When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is the one on whom seed was sown beside the road. So he says sometimes the word of God is sown, the word of God is proclaimed, but the seed falls by the roadside. The person who hears it, ignores it, rejects it, does not accept it, and the Bible says that as a result of that, then Satan snatches it away and it never takes root. He said the second type of soil is the rocky places in verse number 20. And the one on whom seed was sown on the rocky places, this is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no firm root in himself, but is only temporary. And when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he falls away. So he says that the seed then is sown in rocky places. The person hears the message that God loves you, that Jesus died for you. The person hears the gospel then, and the Bible says that he receives it immediately with great joy. But then times become difficult. Or maybe it is no longer as exciting to follow after Jesus. And so the Bible says that person falls away. Then he says some of the, of the seed falls by, by the thorns in verse number 22. And the one on whom seed was sown among the thorns. This is the man who hears the word and the worry of the world and the deceitful of riches choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. So the Bible says that sometimes the seed falls among the thorns. The person hears the word. Maybe is impressed by the word, but the cares of the world choke out the word in his life. The deceitfulness of riches choke out the word in his life, and so there is no root in him. And then he says that some of it falls on the good soil in verse number 22. And the one on whom seed was sown on the good soil, this is the man who hears the word, understands it. And bears fruit, brings forth a hundredfold, some sixty and some thirty. So in, in the first parable, the seed that was sown was the word of God. In the parable we are looking at today, the second parable, the seed is people. Now look at verse number 36. Then he left the multitudes and went into the house, and his disciples came to him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the tares of the field. And he answered and said, The one who sows the good seed is the Son of Man, and the field is the world. And as for the good seed, 
These are the sons of the kingdom. All right, so what you have here is that in the first parable, the word of God was sown. Some of it fell on good soil, and these people became believers. Now, in the second parable, those who became believers are the good seed. They are the ones who become the sons of the kingdom. So this, then, in the second parable, is the seed that is being sown. In the first parable, the seed of God's Word is sown, where it takes nourishment, finds root in good soil. They then become the seed in the second parable, and they are sown throughout the world. You remember when Jesus was speaking to his church, and he gave them the Great Commission? What did he say to, th to the church? He said, we are to preach the gospel, go into all the world, make disciples, baptize them, teaching them. That is the Great Commission. That is the scattering of the seed of his people. Now, it was later that Pentecost came. Jesus sent his people out, the good seed out. And then there was Pentecost. And you recall at Pentecost, Simon Peter preached and 3,000 were saved as they went out. The good seed is going out. 3,000 saved. In fact, it's, it's exciting to read in, in the uh, book of Acts and see the growth of the church as the people, the good seed, went out. The Bible says in Acts chapter 1 that there were 120 believers in the upper room. And then in Acts chapter 2, there were 3,000 at Pentecost who were saved. Acts chapter 4, it says there were 5,000 men. And then after that, it begins to talk in terms of multitudes. So the, the good seed is going out and people are responding to it. But then they became complacent. They became content there in Jerusalem. And so the good seed sort of gathers in Jerusalem and just stays there. It was then that the Lord sent persecution to force them to scatter throughout the world. And so the Bible says in Acts 8, 1, And on that day a great persecution arose against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the region of Judea and Samaria. So in this second parable then, the seed that is being sown are the saved. Those who were the good soil. Those who trusted Jesus. Now, it says in verse number 38 that the field is the world. You know, the tendency we always have is that as believers, we want to isolate ourselves. We want to protect ourselves from the world. And there have been the monasteries where we withdraw from the world so that we can just be with God. We can be protected. And we still want to do that same thing today. We just want to be with each other, other believers, so that there is no chance of, uh, of us being tempted. We, we, we want to isolate ourselves, but the Lord has sent us into the world. That's where he sent us. So we see the sons of the kingdom have been scattered throughout the world. They are the good seed. But then he talks about the bad seed in verse number 38. And the field is the world. As for the good seed, these are the sons of the kingdom. And the tares are the sons of the evil one. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil. All right. So God then sowed good seed, his people, sons of the kingdom. And Satan sowed bad seed, his people, Sons of the evil one refers to them as tares. We refer to this as darnel today. It is a poisonous weed. But the word tares is an interesting word. 
because it comes from a Greek word that means to commit fornication. That's what the word tares comes from, to commit fornication. William Barclay wrote, the popular story is that the tares took their origin in the time of wickedness, which preceded the flood, for at that time, the whole creation, men, animals, and plants, all went astray and committed fornication and brought forth contrary to nature. In their early stages, the wheat and the tares so closely resembled each other that the popular idea was that the tares were a kind of wheat which had gone wrong. So the Bible says that there are the tares. They are the sons of the evil one. In fact, you'll notice there in verse number 38, And the field is the world, the good seed, sons of the kingdom, and the tares are the sons of the evil one. Does that mean then, question, does that mean everyone who is not a child of God is a son of the evil one? Men, women, young people, children... I think it was Harry Ironside who told the story about a young mother who had had a, a baby. She brought the baby to church for the first time, and everyone was gathered around looking at that baby and talking about, well, you know, it has its um, daddy's eyes and his mama's nose, and they were looking at it. Well, the pastor came up, and he saw that baby, and they said, well, what do you think? He said, he's a son of the devil. Well, that probably wouldn't go over real big if you were to do that, but is that what it means? Ray Steadman said, in the light of this parable, I think it is wrong to think of everybody in the world, men, women, and children alike, as sons of the evil one. Jesus never, Jesus never called anybody a son of the devil except the Pharisees who were teachers of evil in the name of righteousness. He used the term to refer to someone who pretended to be religiously correct but was actually disseminating error. That's just something for you to think about. Now, one of the things we would all agree on is that we all are fallen. We all are fallen. That's the reason you don't have to teach your children or your grandchildren to sin. I mean, I have five grandchildren. They're little sinners. I think really, they, yours are too. Your children. They're little liars. I mean, every one of them. Because whenever... Whenever they do something wrong, you say, did you do that? What do they say? No, it wasn't me. You don't have to teach them to lie. You don't have to teach them to cheat because we have a fallen nature. Now, these are the seeds that Satan has scattered. But both seeds, the sons of the kingdom and the sons of the evil one, are scattered in the same field. So the sons of the kingdom, the sons of God, then, have been scattered throughout the world. Jesus said to his disciples, You shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. And so Jesus said to the disciples, I want you to go out now and plant yourself in the world. And they went out and began establishing churches. So we have churches all over the world. I preached in churches in Russia, I preached in churches in Cuba, I preached in churches in various places. And you know, one of the great joys of being a Christian is that you can go anywhere and find a brother or a sister in Christ. As Southern Baptists, we have more than 40,000 Southern Baptist churches in the United States. 
Churches everywhere being planted. The good people going out, the sons of the kingdom going out, and they are planting churches, sending out missionaries. We have Southern Baptist missionaries in over 125 countries around the world. But what I want you to understand is that Satan has planted his seed also. He's also sent out the sons of the evil one. Now, we understand and we expect them to be in the world because that is his domain. But you know what he's done? He's also planted his seed, his people, in the church. And we don't expect that. See, we look for the sons of the evil one to be out in the world, but the Bible tells us that he's also planted them in the church. Let me give you something to think about. There are more than 160 million people in the United States who say that they are members of a church. Now, are they all saved? Have they all been born again? Are they all believers? Well, I don't think so. You know why? Because our country would be very different if we had more than 160 million believers. What you see on television would be very different than what's on. You would see a different platform with the candidates running for president if you had 160-plus million believers. Our church, we have more than 5,500 members. Are they all believers? I wish they were. But let me tell you something. If we had 5,500 believers, people who know Jesus, our church would be very different from what it is. In fact, the church is the mission field. Billy Graham said... That in his crusades, 70% of those people who came to Christ were church members. 70% of those people who come to Christ in a Billy Graham crusade are people who already belong to the church. Now the seeds are scattered and they produce fruit. Verse number 26 but when the wheat sprang up and bore grain, then the tares became evident also. Now, both sons of the kingdom and sons of the evil one produce fruit. As a matter of fact, in the early days of church history, we had church leaders, preachers, who preached the truth, but alongside it, they also preached error. And there was a considerable and serious errors that were being proclaimed. And then there were the great debates that took place, the councils that took place. And out of those debates, out of those councils, came the Nicene uh, Creed and, and the, the Apostles' Creed and those things, which were focusing on truth to combat error. That's where it came from, because there was this error that was going on. Folks, we have the same thing in the church today, a lot of error along with truth. But the Bible tells us that Satan disguises himself as, a, as an angel of, of, of light. And one of the heresies that concerns me most in the modern church is universalism. And that's that everybody's going to heaven. You know what? In fact, I've heard it said that, that like salvation is just a river and we're all drinking with different straws out of the same river. And so there's the Christian straw, and, and uh, then there's the uh, Buddhist straw, and there's the Muslim straw. We're just all drinking out of the same river, going to the same place. That's nonsense. And if that were true, the death of Jesus would be the greatest catastrophe that ever took place because it was absolutely unnecessary. 
There's open theism and so forth. And there are a lot of challenges for the church today. As truth is being proclaimed, there's error with it as well. So the bad seed has been planted just like the good seed. But there's a harvest in verse number 28. And he said to them, and the enemy has done this. And the slave said to, to him, do you want us then to go and gather them up? He said, no, lest while you're gathering up the tares, you may root up the wheat with them. You see, the tares has always been a challenge for the church. What do we do with them? What, what, do, what, do, we, what do we do with them? And there's always been the desire to purify the church by getting rid of the tares. I mean, we got these evil people, sons of the evil one in the church. Let's get rid of them. Let's just have a, a, we're going to, our commitment is to purity. There might just be two of us, but by George, we're committed to purity in the church. So let's get rid of the tares. One commentator wrote, you cannot separate evil from the church. You cannot even drive it out. This doesn't mean that we are not to expose it, nor are we to allow those who exhibit clear forms of error to take leadership within the church. You know the problem that we have in separating the wheat from the tares is that within the individual there is good and bad in all of us. That's what Paul was talking about in Romans chapter 7. He's talking about this struggle that he is having with himself. And he says, those things I don't want to do, I do. And the things I want to do, I fail to do. But there is this struggle that goes on within the individual. Some people were very uh, upset and so forth recently whenever it came out that Mother Teresa was having a struggle of faith, a crisis of faith. The doubts that she had that you probably read about and saw on television. Mother Teresa? I mean, she epitomizes Christianity and faith for so many people. Mother Teresa? Folks, let me tell you something. Faith and doubt oftentimes exist together. It's simply a matter of which one prevails in your life. But we struggle against it. And then within the church, there is good within the church and there's bad within the church. You know, I'm a, I'm a Baptist, a Southern Baptist, but... Man, I don't for a minute think that we do everything perfectly. I love this church with all my heart, but I don't for a minute think that we do everything perfectly here. In fact, in the 4th and the 5th centuries, godly men wanting to get rid of the tares in the church advocated the overthrow of heretics with sword and with fire. Burn them at a stake. Cut off their heads. But let's get rid of the tares. What does Jesus say? Look at verse number 30. Allow both to grow together until the harvest. Wheat and tares growing together. Luther was speaking to the Catholic emissary, Imser. He said, if heretics have deserved the stake, then you and the Pope should be killed a thousand times. Nevertheless, I do not want it to be done. We need to be aware that there are bad seeds within the church. Judas was the treasurer of the disciples, but he was a bad seed. Demas was a fellow laborer with the Apostle Paul, but he was a bad seed. And the Bible tells us that it will be that way in the last days. In fact, I don't have time. uh, Well, maybe I do. 
Turn with me over to 2 Timothy real quick and look at chapter 3, because I, I just think that this is important as Paul is describing the last days, the way that it is going to be. So you'll understand the way it's going to be in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse number 1. Realize this, that in the last days difficult times will come. For men, and then he begins to describe it, the way in the last days. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. And Paul says, avoid the those people. Well, it doesn't look like we're going to clean out the tares, does it? Huh? If I understand what Paul is saying in the last days, that's what's going to be. But look again at verse number 30. Allow both to grow together until the harvest, and in the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers first, gather up the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them up, but gather the wheat into my barn. So Jesus is going to deal with the tares, and he says, bind them up. But I want you to understand that the binding up and the pulling up of the tares is the work of angels. Look at verse number 39. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil. Harvest is the end of the age. The reapers are angel. Therefore, just as the tares are gathered up and burned with fire, so shall it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send forth his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all the stumbling blocks and so forth. It's angels' work. In fact, it is confirmed in the prophecy in Revelation 14:15. And another angel came out of the temple crying out with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, Put in your sickle and reap, because the hour to reap has come, because the harvest of the earth is ripe. I believe what is going to happen as we come to the end of time is that there is going to be this gathering up, this bundling, this binding together. And you're going to see the sons of the kingdom as they are coming together, and you're going to see the sons of the evil one as they are coming together as we approach Armageddon. But there is going to be the bundling, and then there will be judgment. So is the world getting better or worse? Yes. The evil, the unrighteous, are becoming more unrighteous, and the righteous, those who are truly righteous, are becoming more righteous. I really believe that within the time that I have lived that I, I see that today. I see people today who, who are so bold in their faith, more than when I was a teenager growing up. But I am seeing, and, I, and then I am seeing such blasphemy and so forth today on the other side that I, I shudder whenever I see it sometimes. But I think that's what the Bible is teaching. As we come to the end of time, there's going to be this bundling that takes place. The righteous and the unrighteous. The evil and the righteous. And God is going to judge. And only God can accurately judge between the wheat and the tares. Barclay wrote, from this parable, we learn that there is always a hostile power directed towards the sons of the righteous. Folks, you ought not be surprised whenever the church has sought the Lord and honestly, really and truly, best they know, want to follow the Lord. 
and there's opposition and criticism and dissension. Because you have some tears in the church. You just understand that. Understand also that it is hard to distinguish between the wheat and the tares. Barclay wrote, we are much too quick to classify people and label them good or bad without knowing all the facts. We have to be patient because in pulling up the tares, we also pull up the wheat. But you can be assured of one thing. God is going to judge. God is going to judge. And his judgment will be perfect. And he knows every one of us here today, whether we are not a son of the kingdom or a son of the evil one. And that's the only question I'd ask that you consider today. Would you ask the Lord today, God, am I a son of yours, a daughter of yours, or am I a child of the evil one? Because we're all wheat or tares. Our gracious Father, I pray that you will examine our hearts today. I pray, Lord, that we will allow you to reveal to us what you see. And, Father, that not one person will leave here without knowing I am a child of God or I am not a child of God. And, Father, it is my prayer that if someone concludes that they are not a child of yours, that today they will be born again into the family of God. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, in just a moment, we're going to stand. The choir is going to sing. We extend an invitation. My friend, if you're here without Jesus Christ as Savior, let me encourage you today to commit your life to Him. Let Him forgive you of every sin. Come into your heart. Be your Savior. If you're looking for a church home, our doors are open to you. And I hope you'd feel welcome. But the staff is going to be standing here at the front to receive you and pray with you. You stand with me, please, as we stand together and the choir sings. You come, we'll greet you soon.